This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me today on the phone, it is from the great new wave of British heavy metal band Diamond Head guitarist Brian Tantler. And quite possibly, quite possibly, without the Lightning to the Nations album in 1980, we may not have had Metallica the way we know Metallica. I know, I know, that is a big statement, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that a young Lars Ulrich was so impressed and enamored with Diamond Head that it fueled his passion for music and it fueled his desire to be in Metallica. And of course, they have covered almost every song on that album. They, 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 in fact, are, they have so many covers from that, that, that album, they should just re-record the entire album. You know, Metallica presents Diamond Head's Lightning to the Nations. Now, as great as that album is, I'm going to put forth the theory that Diamond Head is one of the best bands to have reinvented themselves. You know, you look at Tigers of Pantang, you look at uh, other bands that have completely and utterly changed the lineup and and sometimes it's for the worst you just go eh, you know what i miss that classic lineup but in diamond head's case i think this has now become the classic lineup yes lightning to the nations was great and yes the people on that album were great but what they're doing these days with new singer rasmus the last album in 2016 diamond head the new album uh, this year, the Coffin Train, they are sounding better, they are playing better, the production's better, but of course, you know, 2019 production versus 1980 production, it's kind of easy to be better in that case. And if you're not better, just give up. <laughs> you know, if if almost 40 years on your production is not better, eh, eh, you know, retire. But But that aside... You listen to those last two albums, you listen to the songwriting, you listen to the guitar playing, you listen to the vocals in particular, and you gotta go, you know what? This band now has a new classic lineup. It is a much, much better band. Now, I love getting Brian on the phone. He is um, just a great conversationalist. He gives you great answers. It's just absolutely... um, well, it's a good time to have Brian on the phone. Now, the other thing that I want to discuss are talk-ups before the show. You know, I like to keep them short and tight and get right to the guests so that you can dig into the guests because I'm sort of figuring, you know what, folks want to hear the stories by the bands. And I've got some great stories, by the way. I had Roger Earl of Foghat on the phone recently. I haven't run the interview yet. That is some great storytelling. So when you see the Roger Earl Foghat episode go up, click it. Listen to it. I don't care if you're a fan or not a fan. It was just a great conversation. But but back to these talk-ups, my perception is get in, get out, give them the guest. And I've had folks on Facebook and others say, hey, you know what? We love when you talk about Kiss. We love when you talk about your mom. We love when you talk about the stories or, or, or on the road or you did this or you know, give us more, uh, give us some news, uh, talk about new album releases, and so on and so forth. So I put the question out to you, and you can go to 
uh, well, you can email me, MitchMinute at AOL.com. You can Twitter me at Mitch Lafon. You can Facebook me on the Rock Talk page or my own page. Tell me, should I, should I be giving you more talk up content? Should I, should I be giving you more, more me? I, I can just see my wife cringing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, uh, anyway, do you need more talk-ups? Because I, I can give you more talk-ups. And, and if you need more uh, co-hosts, I can give you co-hosts. Happy to give you co-hosts. We've got Steve Brown that I can call up. We've got, uh, you know, Mark Striegel that we can call up from, from the uh, Talking Rock site. We've got uh, Alan Niven. You tell me, ultimately, this show is for you. There's a lot of great stuff in it for me, getting to talk to all these artists, getting to go to shows, but ultimately you're listening. So tell me what you want, and I'll tell you what I want, <laughs> what I really, really want. Oh, did I did I just do that? <laughs> anyway, speaking of which, by the way, um, Pop, uh, I was offered an interview with Bananarama. Remember that? Bananarama. Hey, Venus, you know, you, know, you got it. And I think I'm going to do it. I am going to interview Bananarama because there is a somewhat cool factor to interview some of these bands from back in the day. So you will possibly, possibly, nothing's been arranged yet, but you will possibly see a Bananarama interview pop up on the feed. And listen, I just think that's cool. I, you know. Yeah, I got to talk to Boy George. I got to talk to the guys in Simple Mind. I got to talk to Rick Ashley. I got to talk to uh, um, just a whole bunch of different ones. And I think uh, Sheila E. And I think Banana Ram, it would be kind of funny. Anyway, nothing's confirmed. It was offered to me. So I, I think I'm going to do that. But uh, this has nothing to do with uh, Diamond Head. In fact, uh, very different uh, genres of music, as we say. Let us get over to Diamond Head. And if you haven't checked them out, uh, the albums, I mean, go back to 2016, check out Diamond Head's Diamond Head, The Rebirth, if you want, and The Coffin Train. And you are going to, in if you like your heavy metal, if you like your hard rock, you are going to enjoy these two albums. Rasmus, the new singer, is a force to be reckoned with. And speaking of forces to be reckoned with, here is the one, the only, and yes, for you, Steve Brown, the mighty guitarist, Brian Tatler. We are speaking with uh, Diamond Heads, uh, Brian Tatler. The new uh, album is The Coffin Train, and it sounds absolutely spectacular, quite frankly, much like the uh, 2016 Diamond Head album. Uh, Brian, uh, un plaisir, a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, a pleasure to speak to you, Mitch. Uh, again, uh, we've, we've met a couple of times over the years, and uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, and and we have, of course, met one time at Heavy Montreal in uh, 2011, I guess, and the 2020 yeah. edition is coming up in July of 2020, and it is due time that uh, Diamond Head gets a new invite. I will, I will make sure that that happens. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to do it again. It was a fantastic uh, event for us in 2011, one of the best and, you know, best run festivals I've ever been to. So uh, we had a great time. We did that one, and then we did Heavy T.O. or vice versa. But yeah. uh, what a what a great festival. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, and, and uh, unfortunately, Heavy T.O. or Heavy Toronto has, has disappeared, but Heavy Montreal uh, goes on. But let's talk about this uh, this new album, The Coffin Train. Now, 
for folks listening, you know, Brian and I have done many interviews over the year, and we've done the entire sort of history of the band. And yeah. so, so this time I want to sort of focus uh, as much as possible on the new album, but also the new lineup. Talk, talk to me about putting together this new lineup with Rasmus and, and the other guys. Yeah. I know that you had a couple of singers come in and out before you got to Rasmus, but but he really sort of to me defines the band now, or certainly the modern era of the band. Yeah. Uh, what were you looking for in a singer? And because you had to find a replacement, because he's not the guy that was at Heavy Montreal 2011, for example, was it just let me just find anybody, or did, were you looking yeah. for something particular in a voice? Because man, he's good. Yes, he is good. I, I'm really uh, happy with Raz. I think he's a fantastic singer and, and uh, a great writer. Uh, we've written the album together. Really, uh, really pleasure to work with. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you know Nick, our last singer who did Heavy MTL in uh, 2011, emigrated to Brisbane. Uh, in 2008. So eventually we had to replace Nick. It became too expensive and complicated to fly him backwards and forwards from from Brisbane. And uh, so we just held some auditions uh, and I got recommended, Raz, by a friend of a friend who said they'd both been to uh, university in London and Raz had studied vocals and vocal performance and... uh, all kinds of styles of singing. Like he said, he studied jazz and rock and pop and blues and whatever. Uh, and so he he's Danish, but he'd moved to London in 2006 to do this course. Uh, and so he was in London. And it was just a case of me sending a backing track uh, to uh, uh, an old Diamond Head song called To Heaven From Hell. And he sang on it and sent it back. And I thought, wow, great, what a great voice. It, it didn't sound like he was struggling to hold notes or reach any notes. Uh, I mean, I, I found out later that he's got a fantastic range. Uh, so he was easily able to do the Diamond Head songs. Uh, and he came up to, to the Midlands to audition. Uh, we got together in a room, with a, we played some songs. And within about 30 minutes, I thought, yes, he's, he's the one. Uh, we we only saw four or five. I you know I didn't put an advert in the, you know the newspapers and you know and make a big deal of it. I just wanted to ask around first and uh, see who we could we could find in the UK. And uh, so I I thought yeah he's great. And we'd got gigs lined up, so it was mainly a case of we needed a singer who could you know, fulfill these gigs that we'd got, but who could do justice to the Diamond Head history, the back catalogue. And so that's what I was looking for initially. And I didn't really worry about a a writer, somebody I could write with and maybe do, uh, uh, you know, some more albums. All that came later. We had conversations on the road uh, and Ras said how he'd like to write. And... Well, you know, once a little bit of time had passed, a few months, and he, he was comfortable in the band, I started to think, why not? You know, we should at least try and write. We might come up with something brilliant. You, I think that most songwriters think they're, they've yet to write the perfect song. You know, it's always slightly out of reach. And uh, so the, it's quite tempting to be to think, well, we should definitely try. You, you never know. You may just come up with something... You know, wonderful. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you you just may, and and every every songwriter artist always says, "I'm gonna get it right on the next album, the next yeah, one." Yeah, the is next gonna... one. Yeah, <laughs> it's always the What's next one. What's your favorite album? The next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a kind of thirst, a hunger to uh, keep trying, you know, to perfect. To you know, maybe because we all have got our favorite songs by other artists, and you want to kind of beat that if you can. You beat your favorite song. <laughs> well, okay, so let me ask you about that, about the next one, which, by the way, is a, is a great album title. But, you know, you had Diamond <laughs> Head, you, you have this one, uh, the new album. Is there, is there, talk to me about making new music with a new lineup, because you, you could easily just go out and say, we're Diamond Head, you know, we're Am I Evil, yeah. we're, we're Helpless, we're, we're, we're going to do the Heavy Montreal, and we're going to play, and we're going to do the classics, and Merci, Bonsoir, we're done. Uh, right Uh, talk to me about about creating new music and the importance not only of introducing this new lineup to the world but just the importance of staying creative um i i think you know we will always play the old songs it's a nice balance at the moment where we're we're promoting the new album so we do we've been doing three songs off the new album we do a couple off the last album and then it's a mixture of some of the classics from the Lightning to the Nations, but borrowed time. Sometimes we do Canterbury. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's a nice mix. I think the new songs work well against the old and vice versa. But uh, there is something about writing your own material, especially for a singer, when they've got to sing their own words. I think they can really get into it. And I think it's a shame not to, to, uh, to give guys a, an opportunity to create and, and be part of the legacy. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say, no, we're not doing that. You know, I, I think at least we can, we, we can do is try and see if we can come up with something, something awesome. And unfortunately, both the albums have been very well received and, and it's given probably Raz and, uh, you know, the other guy's confidence to, uh, to you know, be in Diamond Ed and be part of the legacy and keep moving forward and not just, you know, be a heritage act, but to hopefully push forward and, uh, and show that it's, a, it's, it's, it's still relevant to today, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, it is an old name uh, and a lot of bands probably, you know, don't move forward much, but uh, hopefully... We're definitely trying to, anyway. So, so let me talk to you about about moving forward because you know, heavy metal has changed from the Lightning to the Nation oh, years, has changed from the Barota. But, yeah. but do do you listen to sort of the new metal and the, and and the new metal as they called it, you know, the the corns of this world, and start thinking <laughs> about incorporating yeah. some of that stuff, or do you no. say to you, no, okay. Yeah, I think no. I mean, I've listened to them, and I've, you know, obviously being in touch with Metallica, I've been to see Metallica probably twenty-five times, and I've, so I've seen uh, you know tons of, of of bands that have supported Metallica, like Slipknot and, and um, Avenged Sevenfold and Corn, as you mentioned, you, you name it. But uh, I I think I'm kind of a bit more of a 70s guy I was brought up on the, the classic 70s bands Zeppelin Sabbath Purple and I think that is ingrained in me that is in my DNA that style of playing and the the distortion and the, the guitars the eight string guitars for example and, and diesel amps and 
and all that. That kind of gain was just not available back in 1976 when Diamond had started. So it would be daft, I think, of me to have an eight-string guitar tuned down to I with a, with a wall of, of high-gain amps and, and try and play like Kerry King or something. I just, I think I'm better off doing what I do. Hopefully people respect that I do what I do and I stick to a sound and a style and, and whatever suits Diamond Ed, what suits my playing, what suits my writing, what suits our singer Raz. And hopefully, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit more modern. Some of the production, it does creep in. We record, obviously, digitally now. Everybody does, you know, Pro Tools. Uh, so it's a different sound now to how it used to be with analog tape and and everything was a lot more spontaneous. But um, I, I, I try to avoid sounding like very modern bands. Um, I just don't think I, I should be chasing them in a way. Uh, I, I think Diamond Head's got a style, and I do my best to try and uh, stick to that style and, and just progress it a little bit rather than change direction. I, I think that therein lies madness. <laughs> And we've had a discussion about that style change in the past, you know, from, from Lightning to Borrowed to Canterbury. There, there, yes. there, was, there was certainly a progression. Um, yeah. Well, in fact, talk, talk to me a little bit about, about that period and that okay. progression, because you look at bands, and, I, and people always go, what are you talking about? But, but you look at Madonna or U2, and they can do whatever, and they call it progression and stuff. And then you yeah. look at a Kiss or a Metallica, and they do something else, and they go, oh, my God, it's not the classic sound. What, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to well, me about that. I, I think with the Diamond Head thing, or the first three albums are all fairly different to one another. And I think, in hindsight, that's a slight mistake. I think you need to build your fan base a, a little more before experimenting to that degree. And uh, it's okay if you're, you're big, if you're queen. I mean, you can try different things. Uh, you know, if you're U2, as you mentioned. Zeppelin had different ideas and styles, but they're already huge. And if, if a whole swathe of their fans don't like the new album, it's not the end of the world for them because it's still going to sell millions of copies. Whereas in Diamond Dead's case, we weren't in that bracket of selling millions of copies. So a lot of our initial fans probably walked away from Canterbury and thought, oh, this is, this is not what we want. You know, you, you've changed direction here. And in hindsight, I think we did progress too quickly. Uh, and it's a shame because, uh, you know, after that third album, Canterbury, we, we were dropped by the label. And, and it's, been a, it's been an uphill battle ever since. <laughs> but I'm still smiling. <laughs> Yeah, and and still doing good, but so but also talk to me a little bit about the the progress of the band because you you know it's eighty eighty two eighty three and then death and progress is ninety three and then all will be revealed is yeah. two thousand five. Why were you not more active in keeping the band recording and touring and you know why not a ninety five and a ninety seven and a two thousand? I don't know. I can only at the time I think uh, when the band was was split. We split in 85 when we kind of run out of money. The, the other band members were all on a wage by this point and disappeared to find a, another paid gig. So that left, left just me and Sean. Uh, and I think we just took a break from each other, really. Rather than kind of 
doggedly just say, right, we're going to go back to the clubs and the colleges and, and start all over again and try and get a record deal. I think we were kind of taking a break from each other. I started working in the studio. Sean started on a solo project that became uh, an album called Notorious. Um, and then we got back together in 1990. Uh, and we, the album Death and Progress didn't come out till 93. So we spent almost two years on and off working on that album. So that was, that was a tough album to make. Uh, and then again, we stopped again. Uh, for what, all kinds of reasons. Uh, it, and it is a shame. I mean, in hindsight, it, you know, it looks easy from the outside. You should have just got another manager. You should have just made another record. But when you're when you're in the thick of it and you, you know, you've got no no money and, and there's no sales, you haven't even got a record deal, you haven't even got a manager, then it, it's quite tough and you're just doing what you can to survive. I ended up in covers bands, and uh, if it hadn't been for the Metallica royalties, you know, I'd have probably ended up doing a, doing a nine-to-five or something like that, just just whatever you can to pay the bills, pay the mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and I, we'll talk about the Metallica thing real quick. In um, 2016, uh, during an interview with me... Uh, okay. Had, <laughs> right? Because we, we've done these before. You, you referred yeah. to, because you just mentioned Sean, so I'm going to bring up this quote from, from our interview. Okay. You, you referred to Sean as the singer that was the best thing, but also the worst thing about mm. Diamond Head. Is that something that you still feel sort of three years from that interview? And, and can you elaborate on that? Why okay. was he the I best like thing? To, yeah. I don't like to drag too much doom and gloom into, into Diamond Head, but... Yes, I, I mean, I, Sean was super talented, but he was very difficult to work with, and he became kind of fixated on he only wanted his mom to manage the band, and in the end, that caused the label to drop us because they wanted us to bring in outside management. And and then after that, it, it just fell apart. There was nobody there was nobody forcing it to continue. You know, there was no... There was no label. There was no, as I say, there was no sales or anything to sit back on. Uh, and Sean's mom had never managed a band before, and she never managed a band afterwards. It wasn't like she was good at it or anything. So it, it just it just ground to a halt. And so I think if Sean would have been a bit more open to suggestion and and um, we would have been a bit more ambitious, you know, we never went over to the U.S. We never toured the U.S. Uh, there was one time we were offered a tour, but I think Sean didn't want to do it or some, something because he wanted his entourage. He wanted his mom and his girlfriend and his brother and his hairdresser and all sorts of problems came up, which would make the thing so expensive that, you, you know, it was unaffordable. So we didn't do it, and we never went. We never. Our first time Dan did set foot in the U.S. was in 20, 2002. So we missed, you know, twenty years when we could have been rocking, <laughs> rocking really? in the free world. Rocking, rock, well, well, you know, and, and I see that with a lot of U.K.-based bands. You look at Thunder or European bands. You look at Thunder. You look at Gothard. You look at the Status Quo. There, there just seems to not be. Or, or they didn't work the American market properly. Mm. Does that come yeah. down to management? What is it? Management that didn't get you here? Is it the band that was reluctant? And and uh, ultimately, but it wasn't me. 
It definitely wasn't me, and it wouldn't have been Colin and Duncan. It was either Sean or it was Sean, the people around Sean. Because at the end of the day, Sean became the figurehead. You know, he had his mom, and the management was based at his house, and every decision ended up going through Sean. So if Sean didn't want to do it, it wouldn't get done. And as I say, I think I think they came up with some un- unrealistic expectations of what a US tour was. You know, I mean, just to quote that that story about the police, where that when when they went over to the US, they toured in a in a van, the three guys, and a, and I think a driver who who also probably was a roadie, and and that's how the police started in the US, and probably lots of bands have done that. But I think when Diamond went went over, uh, or if Diamond Headed had gone over, uh, I think Sean wanted, as I say, wanted his, his entourage and uh, his, his brother-in-law was the tour manager and his, uh, his, his you know, his nephew was, was doing the the, uh, the guitar tech and, and all these people, you know, were on a payroll. It, it was impossible for a band of our size to do anything like that. So we'd probably, we'd toured the UK over and over again and we'd built up a, a bit of a, a road crew and we got a tour bus and we were fine, you know, maybe touring England. But when it came to touring Europe and America, I think nobody had a clue how to do it unless there was a load of money going to be thrown at you. And maybe the record label just didn't want to take that risk, you know, and I don't blame them. Yeah. Well, and, but the American market is more important. Let me, let me, um, move on just real quick to uh, to death and progress you you had uh, dave mustaine on a track and yeah. then about 10 years later give or take uh, the math might not be precise but, <laughs> but <laughs> i won't you, hold you to you it won't hold, yeah you, you worked on a project with with dave mustaine yeah. um yeah. What, whatever happened to that project and and what kind of project was it was it and by by that i mean was it supposed to be something that was going to come out under the brand name megadeth was it diamond no. head Talk no. To you. Okay. Okay. Well, you remember he did an album called MD45. I do. Yes. Yeah, so he did that, and then maybe a year later, he got in touch. We got in touch with each other, and he said about that album, and he said, "I'd like to do another album like that, with some, you know, yourself." Uh, and he named a couple of other players, and uh, I thought that sounds fantastic. I'm up for that. So I started writing material, and I would send stuff over and he'd say yep I like that and I don't like that and I like this and on it went for maybe a year or so and every now and again he'd, he'd apologise and say I'm ever so busy I'm doing the Megadeth album and this that and the other and it seemed to you know drag on a little and eventually he said I'm I'm not going to be able to do it he said I've, I've uh, I think I mean do you remember he, he hurt his arm he, he went to sleep on his arm I do yeah and so he couldn't play guitar anymore. He sold all his gear. His Megadeth stopped playing. That was the end of it. So he couldn't do our project either. So I just thought, oh, okay, that's life. And then I thought, well, one good thing is it forced me to write some songs. So I had about 30-odd song ideas that I wouldn't have done otherwise had I not had this opportunity. I had a fantastic reason to get my finger out and start writing. And so some of these songs I've used on various albums that I've done since. Uh, and so that's the, the, the good thing that I took from, from that uh, negative. Uh, and, and, you know, we stayed friends and Megadeth 
offered us a support tour in 2005. We did 22 dates all across Europe, opening for Megadeth. So Dave did us a, a favor in the end, a return, you know, favor. And uh, that went really well. And, you know, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. And, and uh, well, and, and I'll ask you this, which is, I don't but but when you heard the news of Dave having throat cancer, that that sort of shook me oh, to the yeah. core. How, how did that affect you? Yeah. So, uh, that's it, it. Just it shakes you, right? Yeah, it's a shock. I didn't I didn't see that coming at all. It was just out the blue, wasn't it? I think for everybody, we just saw that picture and uh, the news, and oh dear, oh poor old day. I mean, I've had cancer in my family. I lost my sister to it, and my brother's got it at the moment. So I know I know it's a tough. Uh, it's a tough place to be, but uh, I just immediately wanted to wish him, you know, all the best and, and hope he, he'll, he'll get the best treatment. I mean, you've got the best treatment in the U.S. and he's got plenty of money so he can afford the best, the best of the best, can't he? So hopefully he'll be able to uh, get on top of it and, and conquer it. And he's a fighter, isn't he, Dave? So, oh, absolutely. so God bless him and let's hope he pulls through. It gets yeah. gets rid of that shit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and yeah, my 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 wife's father passed away of prostate cancer in 2013. So it, it's right. it, it's a bitch. It we, we we need to it's kick all, that to the curb. Totally. I, I, the older you get, the, the the more you you know. When you're a kid, you don't mean nothing, does it? No. But but as you get older, you suddenly find family members and friends have got this and got that, and it gets quite scary. Yeah. Yeah, our other guitarist had prostate, but he's managed to beat it. But it's always a worry that you know it'll come back. Yeah, yeah. isn't isn't getting old <laughs> delightful? I mean, every, <laughs> everything hurts well, on me at this point. You've got your experience, but yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, illnesses. Well, okay, can, can slow you down. Let, let, let me let me get away from from all that uh, negative stuff. Let me get yeah. back. Let, let's bring it back to since we did Megadeth. Let's just quickly cover Metallica, and we've spoken about Metallica at nauseum because it is the question that keeps coming up. But uh, a few more years of wisdom and perspective. How do you look back at that connection with Metallica and them doing "Am I Evil" and them doing "Helpless"? It has, you, you have said in the past that it, it has helped uh, pay for the house and helped you know, yep. give you the life that you have. But how important other than, and then, than financial was it in terms of ego, in terms of career booze, just, just to know that a legendary band like Metallica listened to Lightning to the Nations and went, that is effing epic. We need to, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but don't forget, uh, when I met Lars, he was just a fan. He was a 17-year-old fan of Diamond Head, so the name Metallica didn't exist. So initially, he was just a fan, and then when when they covered Am I Evil in 84, there was still only a small band that had been going maybe a couple of years, two, three years, and they were on Music for Nations in Europe. Uh, so this was a B-side of Creeping Death, 12-inch uh, single, and I still didn't think, oh, brilliant, you know. I was just flattered that 
a, a band had covered a Diamond Head song because that was the first time it had ever, ever been done. I'd never heard a band cover one of my songs before, and it happened to be Metallica. So I suppose that's very lucky, <laughs> and the stars must have aligned for me right there. But at the time, as I say, I didn't think it was going to sell millions of copies or anything. I didn't think Metallica were going to be the biggest metal band of all time. Who knew? So, I, as I say, I was just really flattered that they'd covered our song, and I thought it sounded really good and powerful, and they'd done a good, solid, tight version. Um, but it didn't... I, I'm not an ego person. I don't have much of an ego. I just, I just, as I say, I thought it was flattering. I thought it was great. It was still, to me, Lars's band have covered uh, a Diamond Head song rather than Metallica have covered, you know. Like, now you'd go, oh, wow. Uh and then they covered another one, and then another, and another, and I've ended up covering four. And uh, so each time they covered a new one, it was even more uh, amazing uh, uh, to me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm forever grateful. Um, uh, and it has helped the band as well, uh, in that, you know, they've helped spread the word worldwide. Everybody seems to know Am I Evil Now? Uh, we can play anywhere. And the one song they'll know in the set is Am I Evil, even if they don't know Helpless or The Prince or something. So it's lovely to have that. It's like a rock classic uh, available to us in the set. With the, we know, well, at least they're going to go crazy for this one. <laughs> so I'm eternally grateful that, that Metallica have uh, covered Diamond Head songs. And, you know, they toured America when we didn't, when we should have been, and... And we just couldn't get it together, and, and they obviously did. You told me once that what, what what got funny about that is that people would come up and say to you, "Hey, you covered Metallica tonight in your yeah, set." Yeah, I've had that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's um, that's a Metallica song. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Look at the small print. <laughs> yeah, I've had that a few times. Read but, the credits. Uh, it's, it's a bit of fun. I it, made that same mistake with uh, this flight tonight by Joni Mitchell, but I bought a single by Nazareth, and I thought it was great. And uh, and then they look at the small print, and you think it's going to be saying, written by Nazareth. And actually, it's written by Joni Mitchell, and think, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I've made the same mistake. Maybe we all have. Maybe we all presume this, this song's written by, you know, people probably presume Joan Jett wrote I Love Rock and Roll. Nope. You know, and, the Arrows. She didn't. <laughs> yeah, the Arrows. That's yeah. right. The good, the good old era. Uh, for, for some reason, when you when you mention that to her, that it's a great cover version, I, I think it I think it bothers her. I think she oh, likes right. it. It is a great version. I think it's she a, likes but the it's fact. It's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah, Alan uh, Alan Merrill did a great job. Yes, right Alan there. Merrill. Yes, uh, two I, two guys. Who's the other guy? Um, I, I only know Alan Merrill because I'm friends with Alan and we've spoken about it. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the other guy. There's another guy. There's two writers on the on the credit, but uh, oh, it's a fantastic. So simple as well. Three chords. It's very hard to write a simple song with three chords and for it to last forty years. That's a that's a rare trick, you know. It is though. It, though though yeah. ACDC might disagree with you. They've been, yeah. <laughs> they've been oh well, that's. That's that's a whole nother level, isn't it? ACDs are unbelievable, aren't they? The way they've they've kept, kept it simple. The discipline involved in ACDC of keeping the drums and the bass simple and letting Angus be the star and you know never 
overcomplicating things. And you know, I, I admire ACDC greatly. I think they're incredible. They are. And and if Metallica could cover The Messenger or maybe uh, The Sleeper. <laughs> yeah. Which are which are great, great tracks. Yeah, please. The Messenger is, 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 is particularly fantastic. I, the new album is great. I mean, I've only heard Thanks. it on Spotify. I need to get a, a physical version. I don't have a physical version, but... Uh, Okay. I need I to could get send that. you one. Oh yes, send yes, you yes. One. please, please Should we do. do that. Well, uh, send me your address on an, on your email, and we'll uh, we'll do. Make sure you get. But uh, I do want to ask you one thing about "Am I Evil" in terms of the songwriting and and putting it for lightning to the nations, because here is okay. is a song that's almost eight minutes long. Yeah. And, uh, you know, radio and, and stuff like that wanted three-minute singles back in the day. But yeah. you're a heavy metal band, so heavy metal band doesn't necessarily do radio singles. But but yeah. talk to me about writing that and the construction of it and sort of what okay. was the thought process okay. in terms of making it almost eight minutes? Was there any – was there a four-minute version and then you listened to it and went, No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I, I mean, we didn't really want to write singles. I remember it was the sort of – consciousness within the band where we we didn't want to be you know on top of the pops and write singles and we kind of wanted to be like zeppelin and 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 sabbath and that which which is more about album tracks like you know you've got war pigs or you've got say say cashmere or or the song remains the same or something you know big mighty slabs of music and and not chart you know things with big choruses and stuff so anyway that was our kind of brief. We wanted to write sort of epics and big songs. And uh, Am I Evil ended up being our most famous and our biggest song, really, most famous. We've got longer songs, but, but uh, that's, the, that's the, uh, the most famous. And it just started with a riff. So I came up with the main riff, and I'd record it on a cassette, and then the, the band had come round to my... I would, I'd be in my bedroom at my parents' house, uh, with my electric guitar and our little biscuit tin drum kit, and uh, we, I just play the riff, and they go, "Oh, yep, that's a good one." So we just work on that, and we put it together. Um, then, at some point, I remember adding the intro. I, I, I kind of copped the the idea for the intro from uh, Holtz, the Planet Suite, Mars, the Bringer of War. So I really liked that. I, I remember listening to that as a kid and thinking it was. Quite heavy but dramatic and and uh, emotional and it had all kinds of things going on. So I kind of came up with my version of that and stopped that on the beginning. Then we we developed the fast section. So it, it didn't matter for us that the song would have four different time signatures and three sections and things like that. It just didn't matter. We didn't we didn't know about simple arrangements and, and three-minute singles and things like that. As I say, we wanted to write these these epics. So we, ha- we had the big section, the big, uh, sorry, the main section, then we had the fast section. Then we, I worked out this big solo that's about like a minute and a half long. Uh, and then, of course, it, it goes back into the main riff at the end of the song, which I don't know how I'll come up with that, but it's a great idea. And... Uh, that always works really well, and there's all kinds of. There's even some little riffs in there that are just almost like thrown in, just to get from one bit to another. And, and I don't know why we do things like that. It just seemed very natural at the time. We'd all be about eighteen, nineteen years old when our my evils have written, uh, 
And it just seemed very natural, you know, we'd be together in the same room, ideas, play this, you know, do that bit, what was that bit there, play that. And we'd record it onto a cassette, we'd listen back, and we'd critique our own, you know, material, and it just grew like that, and it's ended up, like you say, being almost eight minutes long, and uh, we still play it live, obviously, it's it's the big song in the set, Uh, goes down great. What, it what does. can I say? What's what, not to like? What, what's not to like? Yeah. Uh, uh, before we leave, I'll remind folks that uh, Diamond Head, The Coffin Train is available now, and it is absolutely worth your time. It is fantastic. Okay. Much like the 2016 album, the, the band has reinvented itself, if I can use that word, brilliantly. You're You're not just you know, four or five old guys going through the motions. You are creating vital, vibrant new music which is very exciting yeah. actually and i will finish with this and but we will go back to lightning to the nations here's an album that metallica has covered pretty much every song or they've played every song live with maybe the exception yeah. of sweet and innocent and and the title track what is it about that album or talk to me about the importance of that album for you because it really is a classic when you look yeah. at the prince and it's electric yeah. and helpless and am i evil and, and and forget the the Metallica connection, it's just a brilliant album. Yeah, I think even if Metallica hadn't covered anything off it, it would be like a Nawabaham classic. Uh, it would be one of the big albums of that movement, along with you know you know Iron Maiden's debut and Def Leppard and uh, Saxon, so Wheels of Steel and things like that. I think it would and the still tigers. be there. Let's not forget Tigers. Yes, okay, I'm not forgetting t- <laughs> Wildcat, yeah, yeah, of yes. course, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so it, it does have something about it. And, you know, the the weird thing is, when we made that record, uh, our manager, uh, Reg, at the time, Reg, uh, went down to see some labels, and nobody was interested. None, none of the labels wanted to take it on. Uh, so, you know, they don't always know everything, do they? they you know, they could have had that, classic Lightning to the Nations album back in 1980, and they did they weren't interested. So we pressed a 1,000 copies ourselves and sold them at gigs, made obviously £3,500 because we're selling them £3.50 a pop, and that helped pay for, you know, wages and crew and hire this and hire that, and, uh, and then we pressed another 1,000 and we sold them. Uh, and eventually, you know, we got we got a record deal, but um, it took took a lot of, you know, frustrate. It was so frustrating to see other bands getting signed. Everybody seemed to get signed, and and we weren't. And uh, it took us till January '82 to get signed, and uh, that was quite a tough tough pill to swallow. You know that uh, that nobody wanted that album. Which we thought it was great, and we thought, well, how can we do anything better than that? <laughs> and uh, so it was quite, uh, quite a, a tough time that was. And and I, I probably should know the answer to this, but those original sort of homemade press versions compared to the the, the record company version, yeah, were, were the songs the same, or or were they remixed yeah. and remastered and rethought and more? No, they were the same. Okay, they were the same when it's been re-released by Universal and uh, High Voltage and High Roller and all kinds of people have put it out over the years. Uh, it's the same version. Now, I've got the, the master tapes, the well, the, the stereo master. I haven't got the, the two-inch master, uh, but they would just remaster it from that. 
so it's it's exactly there's no remix. There is a remixed version, tell a lie, but that came in '86 on Metal Blade. No, not Metal Blade, Metal Masters, and that's that's not very good. I mean, I was responsible partly for that, and. In hindsight, it wasn't very good. It, you know, putting samples on and things and trying to make it sound a bit more modern, it didn't really work. So I learned my lesson there. But uh, ev- everybody really who's got it has probably got the the uh, original version uh, just just remastered and uh, made, you know, that's all, put onto CD. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, I was just curious, uh, uh, between the ones that were you were selling at gigs that you had self-pressed and, and I guess, the happy face. Yeah, they're the same. All the Obviously, same. we did we did those on vinyl. This is pre-CD. So we did we did two pressings, one with a white label and one with, with a printed label. Uh, but it's still in a white sleeve. And it, it, people started calling it the White Album. But it, it's supposed to be Lightning to the Nations, but because of the white sleeve, people started calling it the White Album. So it's sort of also known as, uh, but now it's exactly the same version. It's just gone out, gone on Spotify as well. That uh, yep. first album. I I saw that and and it's great. Yeah. And, and of course, like while... a week ago or something, yeah. yeah. And it's got all the extras on in it, like the the EP and uh, some B sides, things like Play It Loud and uh, Streets of Gold and things like that. Yeah, the uh, the Castle Music release of of uh, what year was that? Uh... <laughs> Hmm. Uh, I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I, I'm going to look it up because I can't uh, see Castle Music uh, Sanctuary 2000. Seems to be somewhere around 2001. Yeah. Sounds roughly. about right. Yeah. Uh, Brian, always a pleasure. And of course, folks, while you're at Spotify, do check out The Coffin Train, check out Diamond Head 2016. And hey, head over to the podcast section and check out Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Uh, there you go. Uh, Brian. Toujours un plaisir, and uh, Heavy Montreal 2020 is a must. We will, we will do what we can to make sure you are here because it was a great performance then, and it'll be a greater performance. It'll be even better with this lineup. Yeah, it's a it's a monster lineup. Um, we did Wacken two weeks ago, and that was fantastic. So I know how good this band is now, and it'd be lovely to come over to uh, Montreal again. Oh, yeah. And, and not only is the band better, but you've got those last two albums worth of songs that yeah, you could. I yeah. mean, The Messenger, and I'm going to focus on that one because it's a brilliant song. Right. That live. It's a good riff. I like, oh. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pleased with that riff. Okay, which is, the best, which is the best song on the album for you? Well, my favorite song is the title track, The Coffin Train. Uh, Razi's favorite is the, the first track, Belly of the Beast. But. Uh, uh, we've had people, you know, say they like this track and that track, and which is always a good sign when they pick up on different songs. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, Messenger's got a great, great riff. We've been playing Messenger live and Belly of the Beast and uh, Death by Design, uh, so it's it's sounding great. They're very powerful songs, uh, especially live. So it's it's uh, it's all good. Yeah. But, and you're right. It is a good sign when people are picking different tracks because yeah. if everybody says, "Oh, I only like Belly of the Beast," that means, "Oh crap, I got nine songs that nobody likes." Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's right. Well, that's what no. it means. You know? That's right. We uh, we we're pleased with the with the, the reaction. It's it's been it's been really really positive. It's it's great to have a good reaction to your album after putting a lot of time and effort into it uh, for people to give it a thumbs up. It's so satisfying. Absolutely. And and on that, as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Oh, always a pleasure. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, always a pleasure. I agree. Cheers. Have a good day. You too. 
You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. 